I didn't know. Like, and I didn't know how awful I felt in my body before. I didn't know that most people feel this way, which is comfort. Even knowing that I would feel good, I could not have predicted how good I felt is the best way to summarize it. You're listening to Scars We Share. I'm your host, Kayleen. JJ and I met at BYU. He is now living it up in California as a successful actor. He's transgender and talks about his experience around top surgery. Here's JJ. Well, hello there. I am JJ Hawkins. Um, little introduction to me. I am a professional actor. I live in Los Angeles. Kayleen and I met back in college and we are really excited to be hanging out again. (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah. And I guess this, this season is the LGBT season, the queer season. So I was looped into this because I do happen to be a little trans boy. And (laughs) so that's definitely going to be the epicenter of what I'm talking about a lot. Um, I am much more than just an actor in trans, but those are the two most relevant things to bring up right now. So that's my little intro. I love it. (laughs) You're just fantastic. I just uh, going on going to BYU for a minute. I just remember doing Wrinkle in Time with you. And it was like the best ever. (laughs) Yes. So let's jump in with a physical scar. I actually don't have many physical scars. I was thinking about, there's the obvious physical scar that I have that I'm easily going to be talking about here. And I was like, that also is kind of my only scar. I have a little scar on my chin from a monkey bars incident when I was seven. (laughs) Um, And that is probably exactly as it sounds and happened exactly as it sounds. (laughs) But the physical scar that is actually worth talking about is the most it's definitely the scar I have the most emotional connection to anyway because you know assuming that the listeners here don't know anything about the transgender experience the scars that I have came from a surgery that I had that was a gender confirming surgery so I had the breasts that my body grew in the first puberty that I had had them removed so these scars and it's not exactly correct to call it a double mastectomy Mm -hmm. even though it like technically is where you're removing them but it's there's also an aesthetic aspect to it where you are trying to contour and you know make it look more stereotypically male you know as if your body had never grown them to begin with so a common thing with a double mastectomy is you know a lot of a lot of trauma, like that's something that a a woman with breast cancer doesn't want to lose. There's a negative connotation with it. That's just like, oh, I, that, that part of my skin has been like infected and it needs to leave. And I wish it were back to normal, et cetera, et cetera. And I think that's why I kind of distinguish as in, I never call it a double mastectomy because of that negative connotation. And this was such Mm -hmm. a positive thing. This was nothing. That's why gender confirming even that word, like it was just such a confirmation of myself and everything. So yeah, I have this large physical scar from left to right across my chest, exactly as you'd expect it to be. Um, (laughs) So there are different types of surgeries you can get like this. And the specific type that I got retained my original nipples, which meant it was a little bit more of a process because that's usually, it's just like 
straight cut. But this, I really want, that was really important to me to like, it felt more like it would be my body. And that was something that was really yeah. important to me. Um, most of the time, a nipple is just added on for aesthetic and it can't be felt any more than any amount of skin. But I wanted to retain all my nerves and keep them connected, never disconnected. So I had to go through a couple different processes okay. because that's a little bit more complicated. So over two years ago now, it was June of 2017, I had my first round and that got the majority of the tissue out, but I needed a revision because my doctor was sparing a little bit of tissue to make sure like, you know, if we sever the nipple, we can't get that back, but we yeah. can always go back and, you know, yeah. take out more tissue that's left. So yeah, I had my original surgery, June, 2017. And then I had a revision almost a year later in, I think it was April, 2018. And then a minor scar revision only a couple months ago. So it's been like a trilogy of scars and you can kind of see actually the progression because obviously the one from two years ago is the most healed, the most blends in with my skin, the most up until the one a couple months ago, that's still pink, you know, mm -hmm. what's interesting about scars and the healing process with scars is that everyone's got like a trick for like how to heal your scar, you know, like, yeah, obviously there's like the, don't put it in the direct sunlight for like a year while it's healing. Did you get the same, like no sunlight for a year? No, no. they didn't tell me anything about it. Really? Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> Good luck. Ladies. Yeah. Bye. You're alive. That's all we care about. <laughs> yeah. That was a big part was like, if it gets sunburned and the skin tissue isn't healed, it will stay there permanently. Like that burn will not heal until like the skin rejuvenates in like seven years or whatever that is, however long it takes for mm -hmm. skin to completely wow. recreate itself, mm -hmm. which I've always found quick tangent, really beautiful that like, uh -huh. your skin just like recreates itself every seven years. Like you are literally not the same person you were seven years ago, even physically. Mm -hmm. Oh, it's crazy. Anyway. And so the first year, especially because I still had tissue that needed to be removed with the revision, I didn't like experience what a lot of trans people do when they have their breasts removed, which is like immediately just like shirt off. I can't, I love this. Oh my gosh. You know, I was still very definitely shirt on and, uh, there's still tissue left, uh, you know, want the scar to heal. Uh, so nothing, I mean, it felt emotionally drastically different, which I'll get to, but like physically I didn't change much about yeah. what I was doing, like suddenly going shirtless or whatever. But then after the revision, the first revision, which was the second surgery, it was right before last summer. And I remember last summer feeling like it was the first time I had ever experienced summer. There has been so much progression in my life that like I've felt as I've come out and gone on this journey and transitioned of confirmation, like, oh, this, this is the body that feels so good and right and makes me so happy that I didn't even realize that I was missing it. Like I couldn't have known what I was missing, if that mm -hmm. makes sense. Yeah. So I can look back and see, you know, in high school, in college, when I just I always claimed that I just hated water. I always said, oh, I don't like swimming. I hate water. I don't like the beach. I hate pools. I just don't do that. Like that just felt like, like it was such a character trait. I had to, you know, oh, I just don't like that. And then as I chiseled myself out of the wrong body, as much as I have, I've been like, 
oh, it wasn't the bodies of water. It was my body, you know, that I did not like. And it's so that's something so difficult for people who are not transgender to understand because Mm -hmm. you don't know what it's like to just like be in the wrong body. Like, I don't know what it's like to be in the right one. You know, that like blows my mind that like puberty happened and you were like, this is awkward, but like it's doing things I want it to do, you know, like that (laughs) blows my mind. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And so it's really difficult from the opposite end to hear like, I was just trapped in my own skin and I didn't know it. Like, I didn't know that other people weren't feeling the same way. I thought everyone was like, you know, especially because we live in a society that's like, don't like yourself, don't like Mm -hmm. your body, fix your body. Like, that's pervasive anyway. I just assumed this was the experience that we all felt of it. I I assumed this was the version of people telling you you shouldn't have confidence in your body. But until I got as close to my body, like the body that I'm in now that I do like until I felt this, was I able to be like, oh, it wasn't just that, you know, like, of course that still affected me, but it was not just that. Oh, so last summer I like would go to the pool and I'd go in just my swim shorts and I'd jump in the pool and I would jump out of the pool and there'd be water on me. And I was like, oh my gosh, now I'll sit and read. And then when I got too hot, I jumped back in the pool. I mean, my <laughs> mind was blown. I was just like, this is what you people do. Like, I'm having a great time. Like, <laughs> this is so nice. When before it was just like, I had so many like clothes on, you know, swimming, which just like mm-hmm. weighs you down. And I just tried to stay so like bound and tried to hide in my body and like water does not let you hide. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> like, yes. <laughs> wet clothing doesn't make you hide, doesn't let you no. hide. <laughs> So I remember just like being so blown away last summer, like, oh my gosh. And then you just lie out and it's just hot and you cool off in the pool. Like it was a mind blowing experience to me. Like, this is so fun. And, you know, flash forward to this summer and I feel like I've, I've done the same thing, but with the beach, like I've gone to the beach with my friends and I'm like, so we just jump in the ocean and we just have fun. And then we come out and chill on our beach towels, this is amazing. You know, this is incredible. No wonder people love summer. I have never understood this. Um, But my scars are obviously very visible. Like my body is very trans. Before surgery, my chest was really large. I actually had double D cups, which is just insane. I had no idea. Oh, because I was very bound. You know what I mean? Constantly wearing, like, before I had access to, like, more appropriate clothing, I was wearing multiple sports bras, all sizes too small, just to, like, hold in. Because it was just an awful experience to be in my body. And that was such, like, Murphy's Law, you know? Like, of course someone who is so crippled by this has, you know, what I was saying with the size was just, therefore, my scar is really large. Like some men who were smaller before have smaller scars because they took out less tissue. You know what I mean? Yeah. So my scar just spanning up from under my arm all the way across to my other under my arm. And on my very white skin because I never like tanned my stomach before, you know, yeah. the contrast of this bright pink scar jutting across my entire upper body and my white pale skin that has only just frequently recently seen the sun is, is loud. So for this reason, public spaces like the beach is really not 
made for trans people. Like you, it's yeah. just a place where you have to be so public about how your body is different. And my body is so loud. Like when I take my shirt off, it is so prominently trans, you know, and it's a, it takes a lot of strength to just be in these spaces. And I know, you know, there's a large queer community in Los Angeles. Like this is a forward thinking city. Yeah. And even still the, con- the community that I have maybe once or twice a year, they're like, we're going to have a trans beach day and we're just going to go as a huge group because none of us really do that. You know, mm-hmm. all of us are going to go together and take up space here and just like be comfortable with each other and have each other, which I've never timing wise been able to do that. But just the fact that we need to have that shows Mm-hmm. where we're at you know even in a very yeah. progressive city it's just such a vulnerable such a vulnerable mm-hmm. thing to do because oftentimes too with trans trans men if they've been on testosterone long enough people don't even know that they are mm-hmm. trans until like their scars are revealed like mm-hmm. scars are like the way that some people are outed like that you learn about their mm-hmm. their being trans so that's so vulnerable to do like who are these strangers why do they deserve for me to just like come out when i just want to have fun at the beach you know what i mean There's yeah like, that's just something that when you are not trans you don't have to think about like no even just yeah like coming out just by being at the beach you know however I have like the negative days where I'm just like, oh, I kind of wish, like, I just want to go in the water so nobody can see, like, let me just be me. And then there are the other times when I just feel so empowered, like, yeah, these are my scars. These are like the souvenir of what I've been through. And I'm so much happier with these scars than I am Mm -hmm. with, than I was with my body prior. So these scars I've earned, I earned these by accepting myself, by coming out, by taking the steps, by allowing myself to be me and face that, the horror of coming out as trans when (laughs) nobody needs to explain that. It's terrifying. (laughs) (laughs) The statistics the statistics for trans people are just harrowing. I mean, even the fact that I'm 26 and not dead is unfortunately rare. And the fact that I am not homeless is even crazier because that is the much more common thing. There's a vast majority of homeless youth and people are queer. You know, that I was lucky enough to come out later in life when I wasn't when I wasn't living under my parents' roof, that some, you know, these types of things, just facing that mountain of like, what will my family think? What will my friends think? Who will I lose in this process? Is it worth losing myself for that whole thing? Years of that are all caught up in these scars. Mm -hmm. And it's not, it's not even to say that that is done. I have to come out and I will continue to come out almost daily for the rest of my life. You know, every new person you meet, either they don't know you're trans and people feel like you need to tell them, like if you don't if they find out your translator, it's like, why didn't you tell me? As if that's something that they deserve to know. Or like the fears of dating. It's like, who do you, what do you expect out of dating me? And when do I tell you that I'm trans? And how soon should you know that? And will that affect you? Like liking, you know, all these different, so many things caught up in just these scars. And especially because just showing a scar can be like, look, I'm trans is so empowering on some days, so terrifying on other days, but it's so like indelible across the board. It's just so such just like the battle scar of being trans is like, no, I earned these. 
And I still have to, I still have to keep fighting for these scars, but they're fighting for me too. I think I'm going to say this so many times on this particular season. I haven't even thought about a ton of these things because I'm just comfortable in my body and I'm feminine and I feel feminine. And so like, I love my curves. And so for me, like there's such a disconnect. I've never experienced that before. And so to like, I can't even imagine how awful it would feel to feel trapped in a body that you don't like. (laughs) Well, and that's what I was explaining was like, I didn't even know that nobody else was feeling this way. You know, I just assumed that this was a normal state of being because it was all I had known. And also, like I said, you saying that is just as mind blowing to me. I'm like, you liked your curves. (laughs) (laughs) You know, you're feminine and you're, you liked being feminine. Like that's just so perplexing to me. It's the same, just like, wow, tell me more. Like I don't, you know, we can't know each other's completely opposite experience. When I woke up from my first surgery, that was the bulk of the tissue, obviously. And as you can imagine, the double D cup, I, I think it was five pounds that I had lost, you know, from like going into the surgery and just waking up. That was just five pounds of tissue that was removed. Mm -hmm. And I remember distinctly waking up from the surgery and obviously groggy, anesthesia, all that. And from the moment that I opened my eyes, I could feel the weightlessness. Like I could feel that weight being gone. And it felt like I felt giddy. I mean, I was still like drugged and (laughs) my friend was the one taking care of me and driving me home. And I'm like, we should have people over. Like we should be hanging out. We should have a party. Like I'm so happy right now. Like I can feel myself while I'm like barely able to walk, you know, I'm like, but I'm like, but I feel like so light and so incredible. And it's wild to now be on this side because like I said, I didn't know at the time that not everyone was feeling this way about their bodies, but then to be able to experience a change in your body that is that overnight, that is literally like my body is this way. I go to sleep, I wake up and it's not that way anymore. You know, most other body changes are very slow and it takes a while for you to like, you know, you're with it every day. So you don't notice the change, but to have like an immediate change like that. I mean, it was jarring because of course, I knew I was trans, of course. That's why I was doing the surgery at all. And so I knew, like, I will have this surgery and I will feel better. I can't wait. I was picturing in my mind, like, what it's going to be like after this, how different it's going to feel, like, to just throw on a shirt. Oh, my gosh. All these things I could think about. But until I actually experienced it, I could have never known. I was shocked. I was just like, I didn't know that I could like my body like this. I didn't know. Like, I knew that I didn't know. (laughs) I didn't know. Like, and I didn't know how awful I felt in my body before. I didn't know that most people feel this way, which is comfort. Even knowing that I would feel good, I could not have predicted how good I felt is the best way to summarize it. I seriously love that. Like, even just seeing you talking about it, how excited like I'm, I'm being serious like <laughs> seeing how excited you are and you can hear the excitement in your voice too like just hearing that and seeing that is like 
This obviously was a really big deal. Little side thing. I can imagine that that would be like a very literal weight. <laughs> literal weight off my shoulders. <laughs> How does your back feel now? <laughs> oh, you uh, have no idea. <laughs> Especially because like I didn't wear a bra. I wore a binder and that's like you know, it literally binds. And there, there are these really inventive binders that, are, you know, these have been worked on for many decades and they're really, they're like only stretchy in the back, but the front is flat and structured. So you put it on and it just presses everything to you. And the only way you can like barely get it on is because the back is what is stretchy and able to like fit over. And so I also got a size too small in that just because oh, wow. the you know, the extra bind, like the aesthetic, you know, the, the mental, it's so difficult to explain, but when you see your body looking correct for the first time, you're just like, it's worth anything. So it's the literal weight of binding my chest and all of that being held by my shoulders was very, very literally a weight off my, I mean, yeah. a weight off my shoulders and off my I chest. Wait, that applies to both. Yes. <laughs> That is crazy. So question, did it hurt to wear the binding? So, yes. I can imagine that that would not be comfortable. No, no, no. Right, right, right. <laughs> Definitely uncomfortable. It was the the most pain was in the shoulders and in the back because you're technically not supposed to wear them for longer than eight hours. Who actually follows that rule, you know? Like, you're definitely not supposed to sleep in them. But if this makes sense, the contrast after I would bind all day and then take off the binder, the contrast to feel the weight of my given body again was always awful. Like even taking it off at the end of the day was just like a terrible feeling that would it would it would cripple me with the like how much I hate it. I couldn't look down. I couldn't like experience I think I just got used to the pain of the binding because obviously that's your chest is sensitive. Like, yeah, the, your boobs definitely aren't like as sensitive as like testicles are, which I know that's like a different level. But like, they're they're sensitive. They are yeah. way more sensitive than other parts of your body. And I think I got kind of used to that pain. But the pain that like built up over time is the shoulders and back. You know that like mm -hmm. as I kind of slowly numbed to the pressure pain, the like weight pain slowly yeah. grew. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I just can't imagine being uncomfortable 24-7, basically. Oh, um, yeah. That's... Like, that was, <laughs> that because whether, whether you had it on or whether you didn't, you were just uncomfortable. Just uncomfortable. And, I, yeah, I can't even imagine how you would feel after having that gone. I can imagine why you're getting so excited, why you seem so right. happy and excited to have it done. That's really cool. And something that you said that, once again, like, I'm doing this season because I think that LGBT needs more of a voice, but also because I want to learn more. Because mm -hmm. I consider myself an ally, but I also feel like I have a lot to learn. Mm -hmm. And so you said gender confirming surgery and this light like switched <laughs> in my head. I was like, oh, <laughs> like, <laughs> I, <laughs> I don't know why I've never heard it like put that way before. Looking at it more of a I'm not changing my gender 
I'm changing my body to confirm who I feel, who I am. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. like, I don't know why I've never even (laughs) like (laughs) considered it or like thought of it that way. But just hearing you say gender confirming, I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. I get it. I got it. Oh, I'm so glad. Yeah, that is anyway. exactly what it was. Yeah. <laughs> 100%. <laughs> so obviously physical scar is very intertwined with internal scar for you. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you are not wrong. <laughs> yes. So let's talk more about that then. Yes, let's let's dive in. Um, yes. I feel like, uh, where do I begin? I'm actually writing a book right now. This is very relevant. It's actually my second book. My first book was just my memoir. So it was, wasn't was really like intended. I never was like, I want to publish this. I think I just like needed to get it out almost. Yeah. I just needed yeah. to like see it. And then I was like, actually, it was pretty good. Like I... I kind of wrote this without the intention of someone reading it, so I don't want to publish this one. But I want to write a book that I do have the intention of other people reading. So that's that was the impetus for this this book that I'm writing now. And it's basically, the book is How to Like Yourself, Tips from a Transgender Mormon in Hollywood, which I think that just oh like gosh, perfectly summarizes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Those three things together, people are always just kind of like, what? You know? Yeah. The, the people that I interact with, especially um, in Los Angeles, which is never Mormons, mm-hmm. um, people find out that I'm trans and they're just like, oh, my gosh, that's so interesting. Like, what is that like? I don't. Wow. You know, that's such a small percentage of the population. Mm-hmm. And then I'm like, yeah, and I was raised Mormon. And they're just, <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> how does wait, this wait, work? Wait, so what? Literally, <laughs> we're transgender and you're also Mormon. Yeah, yeah, pursuing acting. And they're like, I need you to stop. Like, I'm so confused <laughs> by who you are. How are you alive? Kind of thing. Uh-huh. And so just with people's reactions, always just so much interest. And in like, I don't understand you. <laughs> that I'm like, maybe a book would be interesting for people. <laughs> maybe I'll just write it out. And so I talk about all of this through these tips of like, so if I can like myself, I'm pretty sure anybody can, <laughs> because it is, it goes without saying that being trans and in the Mormon faith is <laughs> not conducive. It no. was not easy. Just a little background as well. Am like six generations deep of Mormon on both sides. Oh, I'm so both. like okay. if it were possible to be ethnically Mormon, that would be what I am. <laughs> it would be my race almost. <laughs> um, and so I'm not just talking about like my parents, you know, it's my aunts, uncles, my grandparents, my great grandparents, my polygamist great great grandparents, you know, it's like the language that we speak i it's it's our culture it's in our blood it's in our past it's in our present it will be in our future like mormonism is deeply hawkins and then pops out (laughs) the queerest kid that this family's ever known they don't know what to do with me I mean, there's no one way to be trans. And I think as I delve into a little bit of my past, um, I do have 
quite a stereotypical trans experience where I was always just blatantly masculine and blatantly uncomfortable being told that I was a girl. And not every trans experience is that. And so it's really important, as I say this, like a lot of quick terminology the opposite of transgender is cisgender. So if yes. you feel like you were born in the right body, you are cisgender. So most cisgender people want like a story that's like, so you must have known from the time that you were two and a half and you must have hated pink and only played with trucks. And the thing is, yes, all of that applies to me. And it's just kind of like, that's not why I'm valid. You know, I yeah. don't need that story, even though I happen to have it. Mm-hmm. And it's just important that like, as a lot of trans people, it just perpetuates this like idea of what gender is. It's like yeah. so flawed, but anyway, so for me, I'm really grateful that it was always blatant because I think that's what a Mormon family needed. Honestly, I don't think they could have, I mean, they're not even really handling this well, you know, it's obviously very difficult and been a very, is still a difficult journey. It has been for many years. Um, also my whole life. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's, I, I sometimes think of it that way. Like if there had been any gray, if there had been anything against this, like it would have been even harder because at least it was this blatant for such a Mormon family. Yeah. But of course I have the like, you know, I was four years old and I went out to the jacuzzi with my brother and my dad and we were all in our swim shorts and I was told I couldn't be in swim shorts and there was like a fight between my parents and I was just four, like, but all the boys are going out to the to the hot tub. What's What's wrong with me? You know, and like in elementary school, I never used the public restroom because I was so afraid, like, I, I looked very stereotypically like a boy, like my short hair had only wore boys clothes and kids are androgynous. So that's really all you need to do to look like yeah. either have longer short hair and wear girl or boy clothes. Like I looked a hundred percent male. And so in elementary school, you're in like the same class though. So everyone in my class knew, knew that I like was supposed to be a girl, but anyone who didn't know me assumed I was a boy. And so I didn't fit in any bathroom because I was like, if there are girls that I don't know in the, ba- in the girls' bathroom, they're going to be like, you get out. And if there are boys that I do know in the boys' restroom, they're going to be like, you get out. Even in elementary school, I didn't talk about this with anyone. I just never went to the bathroom throughout all this day at school. So Every sad. single day, I would make sure I went before school and I waited until like bladder of steel, like from third grade, like a little eight-year-old was doing this, not telling anyone, just like, I... I'm scared to do that. So I'm not going to do that, you know? And there was one really traumatic day where I didn't go to the bathroom in the morning. And so I had to, I couldn't hold it. I had to go to the bathroom and it was like cinematic. I remember like running up to the bathroom and being like, I don't know which one to go in. Like literally like about to pee my pants and I couldn't decide which one to go in and ultimately chose the girls. And all these girls were like screaming and like, get out. And I was just like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. You know, I just needed to like take care of and. I was so young and things like I didn't want to tell people my given name, which was very feminine because then they would know and 
I was literally afraid to touch the color pink. And like when my mom bought me my first training bra, I broke down. I was like screaming and crying and like she didn't know what to do. She's so feminine. She's like my first daughter, I thought. I want to give you all of my jewelry, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and that was not the case. Sorry for the background honks. I live in Hollywood. <laughs> um, and, you know, so that's all very like stereotypical and fun, but it's at the time was obviously very difficult. Like I would wear boys clothes at school every day, all the time. And then like randomly for Christmas, I would get this like super girly shirt and feel bad that I didn't like it and was supposed to wear it. And it would make, then my parents would be like upset. Like you don't like our gifts. And then I'd be like, no, you know, just like from my earliest memories, it has been a crux of pain, just like Mm -hmm. across the, just like so many misunderstandings. There has just never been like a, a solid understanding on either side. Like they had no idea what was going on my parents they didn't know you know they assumed it was just some like tomboy phase you know um (laughs) and I didn't know that I didn't have any words for it I didn't have a vocabulary to be like I'm feeling this way this feels bad you know I couldn't even say it I had I had I was just stuck without a means of explaining but also it was very clear being raised Mormon like that girls are not supposed to do this so it was also Mm -hmm. like me trying to be like not combative, I guess, Yeah. you know, trying to still be a good kid. Cause I was also always like a very like rule follower, like good kid. What's interesting too, is I always like was super Mormon and like happy to be Mormon. Like I was very, you know, what is like me wearing a skirt on Sunday have to do with like me praying? Like those don't like relate in my mind, you know, mm-hmm. like God loves me. I feel very good about that. And I feel like loved. So like, why do I have to wear a skirt? Like that just didn't seem to equate in my mind. Mm-hmm. As a kid, I just didn't have the language. So I, you know, tried being feminine and I failed miserably. And then as like puberty, the wrong puberty happened the first time. It was just like, it just felt like so inevitable. And I was just so like heartbroken by it. But like, whatever, now I have to try. And, you know, as as adolescence came on, I found myself attracted to girls and only girls. And that was difficult enough because then this involves another person which we know the mormon history with homosexuality which is (laughs) terrible so the next few years were definitely me being preoccupied with like just wanting to love who i wanted to love and be with girls and that was existential enough and i remember my gender creeping back into my thoughts multiple times like while i was at byu and everything and i just there are vivid conversations i'd have with myself that was like i literally cannot deal with this right now like literally i use that mm-hmm. word very yeah. very distinctly it literally did not have the capacity to deal with that because of how difficult it was just liking girls like how many years I prayed for that to go away how many years I tried for that to go away how many years it never went away and then going to BYU being in this exceptionally conservative environment where like even looking visibly queer as I did was an act of rebellion it was so visible everything I did was so visible and I came out in a major way so therefore people who didn't who I didn't know, knew that I liked girls. And so anyone could report me to the honor code office at any time. Like I was just, I had to be like perfect, perfect because being out gave every other student at BYU a power over me, you know, 
because they could anonymously and without proof report me if they wanted to for any reason, you know? Obviously, have had to work through that trauma as well. But I feel like that's, um, you know, I'm brushing over these with huge, large strokes, just like the difficulty of even liking girls, which was so much more important, you know, when you're like going through adolescence and you're like, especially surrounded BYU where everyone's falling in love around you all the time. You're just like constantly consumed, Mm -hmm. you know, the Mormon church raises you so distinctly to like find your other person. Like that's the end goal. So it was just like so overwhelming. Like I want to be with a woman. So like that took all of my mental energy so much so that like, I can't focus on me. Like I don't have time to deal with this gender shit. I need to just make it through the next day, the next week, the next month and not get, you know, cut off from my parents and not get kicked out of school and all these Mm -hmm. things. So it was very much survival mode through BYU. And obviously I graduated BYU, moved to Los Angeles and was like, you know what? (laughs) It's really fine that I like girls. I'm feeling so at peace. And then my gender was like, finally, I've been waiting. Let's do this now. (laughs) Like, okay. (laughs) So yeah, then I came out um, with my gender once I moved to Los Angeles. That was uh, probably like three or four years ago now. Anyway, um, so obviously that's me just like large brushstrokes of my like kind of, you know, life, (laughs) my entire life to delve into the points of where my emotional scars are, which thankfully I've been going to therapy for the last, I started at BYU and had an amazing therapist, which was Mm -hmm. a godsend. And since moving to LA, found an amazing therapist here. Like I've just, there's no other word. I have been blessed with the therapist that I've had because that can be I've heard, you know, very Mm -hmm. negative stories. So that's been really important to me that I had like, I've had good therapists for a long time that have been with me. I've built a relationship with that now, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And so I undoubtedly have many emotional scars from my upbringing. And the ones that you'd expect are the most like obvious of just like, I will never be enough. The deepest scar I have is easily related to my parents and just knowing like the the daughter you wanted to have you will always love more than the son that's actually in front of you and like the the depth of me like coming to terms with that is probably going to be what's what I deal with for the rest of my life if they do or do not come around to full support just knowing that like no matter what else I've done, which is so many things that I'm so proud of, it's never enough because I'm trans. Like that's that that's the clear marker of just like, I'm I'm glad you were good in school. I'm glad you graduated and that you are finding success in your career. I'm glad that you're a good person with good friends. These are all things I'm very glad about, but I'm still every night devastated that you're trans, you know? And that's just where I'm at where my parents are at and probably, I mean, I don't want to predict for the future, but at least things have gotten better between us. And so I do hope that the relationship will continue to get better. But those, I think emotional scars is such a good way to put it because Mm -hmm. even if it heals, it's 
it's been damaged, you know? Yep. A scar shows that something has healed, but that something had to be damaged first, you know? Yes. Like, that's yeah. that's such a beautiful way to put it. And it also is optimistic. Like, scars are mm-hmm. optimistic because they are healing. Like, it yep. is the healing process. And, like, the damage has already been done. So what do we do with the damage? Do we heal it or do we let it destroy us? I do want to heal from it. And I feel like I have in many, many ways. Not not done. Not done. Yeah. <laughs> but there has been a lot of growth. Like, a lot of healing has happened. And I, I guess that's why I felt in any way in a place to write a book about liking myself like I think it's such a feat that I like myself that that Mm -hmm. took so long even though I've always been such like such an extroverted such a like a bodacious person like people have this perception that I've just always had just endless amounts of self-confidence which is ironic because I haven't, you know, and I very much know that that's who I've, who I've looked at was just like unabashedly me. Oh, so, you know, affable and such like the, I don't know. Yeah. You would, you would know better how I'm perceived than I do. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but certainly people have relayed this to me that they are a surprise that I ever dealt with. I mean, not like surprised because it makes sense given this circumstance, but it just seemed like I was always comfortably combating it, mm-hmm. which has not been the case. Like, yeah. and this isn't something I want to go down any more than this, but I have attempted suicide and have had suicide ideation for many years. And that doesn't come about casually, you know, yeah. nothing about that is flippant. That's yeah. no matter how much I've been able to combat a lot of things and still been me for a lot and that I'm very proud of like it is in no way an impenetrable shield I have been to the depths multiple times you know Mm -hmm. um the depths of the depths like I I don't think it gets deeper than like darker darker than that and and I think that's why it is such a feat that I'm in a place now of liking myself and that these scars are something and this is kind of relating back to my life. These scars are, are visible. And I think my emotional scars can be visible as well in different ways. Because I think that's where a lot of my acting success has come from. It was like me being willing to show that I have emotional scars. And in some cases, showing my physical scars. And people are drawn to that yeah because we all have emotional scars Mm -hmm. and it was something really jarring to me like when I first graduated BYU and I got an agent and he saw the BYU showcase so he saw every other BYU acting talent Mm -hmm. and me he wanted to sign with me and he was saying he, he also signed with someone else it wasn't just me but he wanted to sign with me and he says he was, I mean, very visibly queer and I was, you know, doing pieces that showcase that and all that. And he was asking me when we met, he was asking me a little bit about how BYU was for me, you know, the curiosity yeah. of like, so you don't fit. Yeah. <laughs> One of these things is not like the other. Yeah. Um, and I'm like, yeah, you know, it was very difficult for all these reasons. And he said something that like, 
blew my little 21 year old mind away. I think you're more prepared for this business because of the rejection you've faced there than any of your other classmates. He said something to that effect. And I was just like, you know, basically like my, I was so fresh out of BYU, like my hatchet was still bloody kind of thing. And him saying like, oh, all of this has prepared you. It was, you know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. it's like tailored you for this career. And I was like, I never even thought about like, oh, all of this could help me with something I'm really passionate about, you know? Like, that was just so like mind blowing that someone I hadn't even like met, like he just saw me in a showcase, you know, Yeah. to point this out and be like, oh no, you, you're more prepared than all of your classmates. And uh, that just for the rejection point. And I was like, you know what, you, this is kind of funny in a really dark way, but I'm like, you right though. Like I, I have been so existentially rejected from my family and the things I hold closest and my religion that is in my blood so much so they're like oh a little no from Hollywood like that yeah <laughs> like I'm fine <laughs> yeah <laughs> you're right that really doesn't bother me like I mean that's funny but like these that these emotional scars had yeah strengthened me and it was just something that I had never even had the capacity to think that that yeah. could, you know like while I'm like trying to survive I'm not like but maybe this will all help me one day you know like you're not like (laughs) thinking that (laughs) certainly this this job that I got last year that I was referencing oh you and I were talking before we had started recording that my acting career really took off about a year ago because this first major acting job that I got on CBS was as a non-binary character and I had done another trans character for a PlayStation pilot that got my face seen by like Glad and they referenced me to this like so many like behind you know behind the scenes networking yeah. of like oh I've seen I've seen this person I've seen this person I've seen this person to get me in for this show and I was yeah the first non-binary character on network television and going from basically like not any big credits to like a recurring character that that's like a really big jump yeah and from there just the recognition I've gotten of people being like oh yes like you're queer you are trans but you're also good (laughs) you know like oh (laughs) oh well let's talk you know and just the networks I've made from that and it it's like so clearly related to me being me, yeah. you know, like I was so terrified for my career. What would happen if I came out? Like there's one thing to come out as gay and there's one thing to come. And it's another thing to come out as trans as an actor because you change your look and that's what you're marketing. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. you change not just your hairstyle, you know, you change the entire hormone operation of your body. Like that changes every part of your physicality. Mm-hmm. It changes changes your voice. It changes the way your face is shaped. It changes your fat distribution. I mean, that's a huge undertaking as yeah. an actor to be like, I'm going to make this huge change. So 
I was obviously terrified. Like, yeah. will my agent even still represent me? Will I have to find a new agent and say like, oh, I'm trans and people just being like, I don't want to take that risk. Like there aren't enough roles for you. You're not going to mm-hmm. make enough money, you know, et cetera, et cetera. That to come out and then that be the reason that I've gotten the biggest roles that I have is just like, it all comes back to that feeling. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) When I knew you at BYU, like it was very obvious that you were very talented, are very talented. I'm paying Kayleen a lot of money to say this. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Give me the money. No. (laughs) (laughs) But like, it was, it was always so obvious that you were talented. And so (sighs) To have it be, to have this be something that's going well for you, despite everything that you've had to go through. It's kind of like you said earlier, I think you were mentioning it, like you are just you. You're having the gender confirming surgery. It was just you being you. And so it's, it's just awesome that the acting has been going well for you because yeah, you're transgender, but you're just you. And so to have things working out for you, just being you, am I making sense? Like, I don't even know if this is coming. the kindest thing I've ever heard. That's why I'm like, oh. (laughs) So I don't know. I, I just think it's awesome that just by being you, by being who you are, like you're awesome and people are seeing it. And so you're doing well being you. And it's, it's just cool. It's really exciting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it, it is, it is very exciting. It is. And, and definitely career wise, I feel yeah. so confident, you know, I'm so mm-hmm. happy. I, I have no regrets in yeah. that regard. I don't, I feel like, like I had mentioned when we were talking, like I, I'm still hustling. Like I'm definitely yeah. not like some famous person now who's got yeah. a big name and doesn't have to like the rules come to me. No, no yeah. not there yet. But even just not having a day job is a huge, huge thing, you know, Yeah. that I, I feel so yes. Like my career is going where I want it to go. And I'm so happy about that. And I am, it's weird to use this word grateful in a lot of ways for the resilience that my upbringing forced in me because Mm -hmm. in my experience with actors I've seen get successful it is most of the time just resilience you know I feel like it just comes down to like how much do you believe in yourself and how much are you willing Mm -hmm. like how long are you willing to believe in yourself for yeah and I feel like because that was a necessity growing up in the church, nobody was on my side, you know, like the people that loved me the most were the ones I didn't want to hurt. And so like, I didn't want to, you know, Mm -hmm. share with like these such taboo feelings that I was having, but you're just it's like you don't even need to bring it up because you already know what's going to be said, which is like, it's fine that you feel this way, but it's wrong. You know, like keep feeling it, but it's wrong. And just that constant, this feeling that like it's, and even then it was pretty, 
it wasn't even that long ago that they didn't even think the feelings were okay. Like that was a yeah. pretty recent development that they're like, okay, was, yeah, yeah, yeah. You mm-hmm. do feel that way. Yeah. <laughs> I knew what my parents would say and I knew that it wouldn't be good. And the mm-hmm. church was saying that all the time. Like I didn't yep. have to go to anyone to be like, Hey, what do you think about this? Like it is very much drilled in. Like that's mm-hmm. huge taboo, huge no, no. And so You know, when I look back to like my 14 year old self, who I feel like is kind of the epicenter in my mind, that was when I was like, when my love for the church and like my testimony was like peak and Mm -hmm. also my like, therefore my grappling with my, at the time it was liking girls with my sexuality was also at the peak. It was like those, I look back to my 14 year old self and that was like the epicenter of just like the pain Mm -hmm. and when I think of that time, it's all just me alone at night praying in tears for weeks and months and ultimately years on end. You know, there was definitely a time in there when it was just like every night and doing that much work alone is the, I guess this is all tying back to these emotional scars. That was its, its emotional scar. Like I had invested everything that I had at 14, yeah. everything that I had into the church, like it was my everything. I cared so much. And I was doing, I was like, I mean, I like only listened to EFY CDs, which if you don't know, <laughs> EFY <laughs> is basically Mormon camp. Yes. <laughs> I like only listened to these awful <laughs> Mormon camp CDs. I didn't listen to normal songs. I was listening to EFY CDs. Like, that's just the perfect example of like, I was hardcore, just like, it was everything to me. And to feel like, you know, to kind of flash for- fast forward the next couple years, constantly feel like I was being pushed out by this thing that I had given everything to that was also like my connection to my family. So it was how I just felt like love for my family. The amount of times that the church gave these speeches, like different men in the church just constantly reminding like, that's so evil. And I'm like, would you feel that way if you knew me? Like, I just want to talk to you. Like, I don't feel like I'm evil for this. You know, Mm -hmm. I feel like you're not humanizing this. And then uh, only a couple years ago with the the letter, you know, when oh, it was like gosh, yeah. children of queer couples were not even allowed to be Mormon and the immediate excommunication if you were queer. And just like that was a huge, huge shift where I was like, why are you pushing me away when I want to be here? That was jarring to me how much growing up the Mormon church mm-hmm. is like, you will always have a space here. And you are so loved here. And I was like, I hear you. Great. I'm sticking through. And how much I was just constantly pushed out. That was a a deep scar. Because that also just like, you know, happened with family too. Like it's, Mm -hmm. it's just such the trickle down of like, I'm not going anywhere. I haven't done anything either. I've just learned more about myself and have filled you in on what I've learned about myself. Mm-hmm. And this feels really separate to me from like my relationship with God and like all these yeah. things that I believe about being a good person. And, you know, this is, just doesn't seem to equate, but upon you finding out this knowledge, I am getting pushed out. Also feeling like it was my fault. 
because the lessons were always you have a space here and it's just you choosing to act on these it's why you're getting it's why you're leaving and it just felt so inauthentic it ultimately became this choice of like these you know these scars are here now it's either i'm going to be inauthentic and loved for it or authentic and hated for it so like what is more important for me yeah. and that is not easy to choose between authenticity and love <laughs> like those are yeah. two things that everybody wants both of uh-huh that is something that i i don't think it's any secret that i kind of struggle with the church <laughs> mm. and this is one of the biggest reasons for me is because they say, you know, love everyone, love everyone. Everyone is welcome here. But then the actions speak so loudly against that. And, and that's something that I struggle with because for me, this is my personal belief. We are all children of God and we need to treat each other as such. Mm -hmm. And so I don't care who or what you are you are still a fellow human being and a fellow child of God. Mm. And if I don't treat you as such, that's on me. Mm. And so that's something that I always have been very frustrated with in the church. And so I am sorry that you had. <laughs> you, you do had not have to, to apologize on behalf of the church. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, it's always sad and frustrating to see and hear that that is such a huge scar for some for many people unfortunately yeah yeah Yeah. it's just it's hard and I'm just I'm sorry that you've had to go through that because it just that just sucks I want to ask you do you because obviously you're not really part of the church anymore from what I'm gathering you're not really part of the church anymore I will always be culturally, could never yes. leave culturally with my family, yeah. everyone, yeah. but no, I do not practice anymore. Yeah. So my question with that though, is do you still have a relationship with God? You know, that is a great question. And I feel I will always believe in God, but I had to figure out who he was outside of the people who taught me who he was. Yeah. I was like, oh, this is the language that I was taught and the like the means through which I was taught to access this God. Mm -hmm. And because I'm reevaluating that, who does God look like now? Just accessing him, her or them through a new means just really changes what they look like to me now, you know, what God Mm -hmm. looks like to me now. But this like connection to a higher power, this connection to the human beings around me that obligates me to be good to them because of that connection that obligates me to respect them, everyone that I'm with, because we all have this connection to this higher power. Like those things I never want to be without such an important part of God is that like giving us a purpose, like Mm -hmm. thinking that there is a purpose to this life, even if there ultimately isn't having one makes it so much better, you know? Mm -hmm. So all these things that were so critical to me in just like, 
actualizing as a human being, not necessarily as a Christian, just like good things to help make life better. Yeah. I never want to lose. I never want to lose this like deep connection to the other human beings on this earth and like what that means for my responsibility to them and et cetera, mm-hmm. et cetera. And also just a feeling that like someone out there's rooting for me, someone out there loves me, someone yes. out there wants me to succeed, has my back kind of feelings. Like mm-hmm. I never want to feel like that's gone either. So yeah, it's almost like the most important aspects of a relationship to God that I had are still intact. Mm-hmm. Because that's what got me through all that anyway. Yeah. <laughs> like when, when my family was hurting me or my church was hurting me or my school was hurting me, I always turned to God and was like, I'm hurt, help, you know? Yeah. So that relationship yeah. has maintained. Well, that's great. Because I think of God differently than I used to. <laughs> Mm. Um, and so for me, I'm like, I think that God is, is an ever loving higher power. Yeah. And so I, I just, I always hope that everyone still can try to hold on to that and have that mm. connection there. So I, I'm just, that's why I asked the questions. I'm like, I hope that there's still something there. And it definitely seems mm. like there is for you, which is great. Mm. Something that I've recently been like learning about is it's not just the LDS Mormon church that is like this, especially towards LGBT people. Like in my my, like little naive realm, I was like, man, why are they like this? And then I was like, wow, it's just religion. Like it's just, especially Christian religion. Yeah. Especially. um, I was like, it's just, it's a problem in a lot of places, not just the LDS church, which has been actually really helpful to me because Mm. I'm like, Oh, this isn't just a problem in the religion that I'm a part of. Like this is, this is just a problem in general. We're pretty much out of time, but is there, I have one other question, but first I want to ask, is there anything else that you want to say in conclusion? I feel like I said so much. (laughs) Um, I mean, maybe ask your last question and then I'll have an idea for a closing statement. (laughs) No, that is great. So I asked this to, um, I think I'm probably going to start asking this to everyone on this particular season. Okay. Because as I mentioned, I consider myself an LGBT ally. Mm Mm-hmm. And so my question to you is, and especially as transgender, so you're not only dealing with being attracted to people of the same sex, you also dealt with feeling like you were in the wrong body. So especially for you, like what can people as allies, like what can we do to help you? Oh, wow. Um, Bold big bold question yes (laughs) um okay the first thing that i always think about when people have asked me this is really i think of other allies that have really made a huge impression on me and the reason for that has always been the allies that come to me already equipped with knowledge people who come to me especially because we live in (laughs) the world wide web 
Yes. There are, there's so many ways to access knowledge. And obviously there are many ways, you know, a lot of that knowledge can be skewed and you can be like, but what's your opinion on it? Totally. But just like a, a baseline knowledge, like you can tell when people, when you're not the first time someone has thought of the trans experience and the fact that they've cared enough in their own time to be like, I wonder how that feels for my friends who are trans. Let me look up some stuff, you know, and this, obviously there are so many other ways to be allies. There's so many different minority ways to be allies. And it's just like, when I am an ally to other things, I realize like my privilege when I stop and think about how much I don't have to think about things. Mm -hmm. Really non-eloquent way to say this, but like, you know, being an able-bodied person, for example, like I never have to stop and think about, will there be a ramp to get yeah. into this place? That's just something I don't even have to think about. So therefore I have that privilege. And so anytime I've taken to like stop and think and research I, or like whenever it's been brought to my attention, like, oh, wow, mm -hmm. I didn't even realize I haven't thought of that. Using that time to look up something new, yeah. you know? Look up mm -hmm. one more story that I hadn't heard or one more thing that I could help or support or even, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and you can tell the people who, who do that, who like hear about a trans experience and like, wow, I didn't even realize I've never thought of that. Let me learn one more small thing that I, I didn't know. You know, mm -hmm. you can tell when there's a genuine interest, not to say that, like, I also love it when people come to me and have genuine questions because I feel like I'm a good person to come to. And so I can tell when people are earnest about that, it's not like necessarily like you should come to me, all things known, but just like an, an interest in learning more is such mm -hmm. that like speaks volumes. And then there's also a thing with, this is more practical, but with the trans experience specifically, I am a very patient person, but I am very sick and tired <laughs> of people these are generally not allies. So if you want to refrain from doing this is what I'm saying. Um, not allies will often bring up how difficult my transition or my pronouns or my name change are for them. And that is the most cisgendered selfish. And it happens so often like, oh, using a new pronoun, that's just so hard. It's just so hard. And it's like, you know, what's harder <laughs> being <laughs> trans, being misgendered because I am the only trans person in your life, presumably. That's why the, the, usually in these situations, I am the only trans person in your life or one of very few. You are one of hundreds of thousands of cisgender people that I interact with daily. So this being a little bit hard for you when you're only interacting with me shows that every other person that I deal with daily, if you know, there's so many more built up. Mm -hmm. And so that's not something you can, so I guess I give you something you can actively do and something you should actively not do. Yeah. <laughs> but even if it is hard for you, which is valid, like when my parents tell me how hard it is for them, like that's a different story. You know, I understand, like, of course it is difficult. I'm not saying that, but like vocalizing that to me, <laughs> and, yeah. you know, like putting that weight back on me, like in a defensive, this is just really difficult using the pronouns, blah, 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 is just like, well, it's, it, this is genuinely more difficult for me. So I don't like, I don't, that, that just like really hurts for me to say, I'm also not here to inconvenience you, you know, yeah. like this is just, that's just my pronoun. It's not like, oh, if you're okay with it, like that, you don't question cisgender people's pronouns. Like, why is yeah. that your pronoun? Like, it just is what <laughs> it's yeah. just my name. What, you know, why is that your name? No one's ever said that. It's just, is. yeah. 
So, yeah. Anyway, that makes sense. I actually, like, before I started recording, I said your name as I used to know it. <laughs> and I was like, oh, shoot, I'm sorry. Like, I... <laughs> right, <laughs> which I was like... totally happens. Oh, my gosh. I am trans myself, and I have slipped up when I've, you know, the first few trans friends that I had. Like, it's just human. You have to relearn. Like, yeah, <laughs> whatever. But there's a difference between a mistake and then not trying and being defensive about it, you know? And you yeah, can tell. No. It's just tangible when... Yeah. I feel like that's something that a lot of people tend to struggle with because we are, we tend to think about ourselves more than yeah. actively thinking about other people because yeah. that's just, that's just how it's we are. Human humans. Nature, yeah. It's sure. human nature. And so when you have to look outside of your norm, outside of yourself, it's, it's new, it's different, it's scary. Yeah. But yeah. by doing that, that's how we can connect with people, even if it makes us uncomfortable. Yeah. That's such the, I don't know. <laughs> that's such the through line of what I was saying too. Like you summarized that perfectly. I'm realizing like what I was saying, like actively do is like think outside of your own experience and actively don't do was like, don't be resentful when you are forced to sound strong, but when you are forced to think outside of yourself, you know, yeah, that's like totally the through line is just like, that's how we connect is thinking outside of ourselves. Oh, wow. Okay. We need to close, Let's. but you are awesome. And you're awesome. Thank you. Seriously. Thank you so much for being willing to do this. Like, yeah, this was this great. Was great. You just <laughs> told me to sit and talk about myself. God, <laughs> <laughs> I know. Isn't it so fun? <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening. Because of everything that's been going on with moving and Friday the 2nd is my anniversary. So just with everything going on, I will take one more week break next week and then I will get back to regular Thursday uploads. So be ready for some more awesome ones. Awesome.